We've reached a small milestone with our 10th episode of the Here and Now podcast. I've really enjoyed sharing my thoughts with you, and thanks again to the guests who've joined me so far. Several of you have reached out to say how an episode has got you thinking, or helped you organise your thoughts in some way. This is immensely gratifying, and more than enough reason to keep going. As much as I enjoy writing the episodes, the biggest challenge is growing the audience, and I can only achieve that with your help. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your social network, mention it to your friends and family, and give it a rating on the Apple Podcast app. The more ratings it gets, the higher it will feature in the podcast list, and the more chance we have of reaching new listeners. It's also an important way of reaching potential guests, as many require a podcast to have a certain level of listenership before they'll come on for an interview. I'm not doing this for profit or self-promotion. I'm doing it to share what I believe are important ideas. The Here and Now podcast is about distilling broad concepts and theories, current issues affecting humanity and ways of thinking about the world, and sharing these with as many people as possible. I believe that our future lies in our relationships with one another and improving our ability to think rationally about the world and ourselves. If you also feel this way, and the podcast has resonated with you, then please support it by sharing it with your network. Get in touch if you have ideas for episodes or feedback on any of the topics covered. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Now on with the show. The unfortunate need people who will be kind to them. The prosperous need people to be kind too. This quote comes from Aristotle's treatise on ethics, written some 2,300 years ago. And in it, he's talking about altruism. Altruism is not a new concept, but it is worth explaining. Altruism is when you act with concern for others without thought for yourself. It's compassion, empathy and generosity rolled into one. Virtually all of us have some level of altruism within us. Our care for those closest to us, our instinctive desire to protect and nurture our family, is part of our DNA. But altruism extends further, further to those with whom we have no relationship whatsoever. It could be on the smallest of scales, offering someone a few coins of change when they're short of a bus fare, or letting them have the last one. The last one of what? Well, that doesn't matter. These examples are trivial, but altruism scaled can make a truly consequential difference to the quality of life for countless numbers of people, particularly those in the poorest communities. Throughout history, reciprocal altruism has led to the forming of communities and the cooperation among groups where two or more parties help each other to help themselves. You know the saying, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But altruism in its purest form is about helping others when there is no expectation or desire of reward for oneself. It is about helping others out of a dire situation, solely out of compassion for their suffering. Some people just have it in them. They can't help but give their time and energy to help others, and many organisations rely on precisely these type of people. The Salvation Army, Lions Clubs, Homeless Shelters, the list goes on and on. Perhaps some people participate in these causes as a type of penance for their own sins, their altruism originates in a place of guilt. But many simply give because they are compelled to. It is in their nature. There are many people like this. Volunteer aid workers, nurses, doctors who travel to forgotten, God-forsaken parts of the world 
where suffering is indescribable. There they put their time, knowledge and energy into efforts selflessly helping others to ease that suffering. But I'm not talking about this to deliver an advertisement or a conscience hit. Although if this podcast does compel you to quit your job and join a volunteer aid organisation, well that's great. We all know these issues exist, and we know there are organisations who are working to address them. But when we do donate, how do we know that our time and resources will be well invested? Participating in a local fundraising event to help send children with cancer on the trip of a short lifetime seems like a worthy and straightforward enough contribution. But what about when donations are sought on a national or global scale? How can we be sure that our contributions will be used effectively? The trouble with poverty-stricken nations and regions, which are home to the extremes of human suffering, is that they are marred in corruption. Global aid organisations and governments assemble en masse, and millions of dollars are poured into economies on the proviso that they are helping those who need it most. But how often is that really the case? It's a rule of thumb that the larger the charity, the lesser the amount of funds raised actually goes to the cause. That doesn't necessarily mean the organisation is corrupt. It's just that big charities have big bureaucracies that consume a lot of resources. The British Red Cross, for instance, spends up to 80 pence for every pound spent on charitable activities. Yet they, along with a wider organisation, make a massive global impact by providing medical and community support in conflict zones around the world. And this is not an isolated case. A study of UK charities conducted in 2017 found that of the over £70 billion raised for charitable causes that year, between 60 and 70% of that made its way to the cause itself, with the smallest and largest charities consuming the most resources just to exist. There are also horror stories which taint a lot of the good work being done. In the UK, contributions to charities have dropped progressively over the last few years. In New Zealand, which has the highest number of charities per person of any country in the world, over 2,000 registered charities simply vanished between 2009 and 2014, taking with them up to 400 million New Zealand dollars. The collective mistrust of society towards many charities has led to a crisis of confidence at just the time when inequality is at its highest and resources need to be invested to help those who need it most. So how do we address this problem while also addressing our innate desire to help those in need? According to many, the answer is effective altruism. Effective altruism is a relatively new concept, but it is gaining significant traction and it is likely to become a widely used term if it is not already. Effective altruism takes an evidence-based approach to determine what are the most pressing issues facing humanity and how to best employ resources so those needs can be addressed as effectively as possible. It's about taking a rational, carefully researched approach to altruism, an end-to-end process which considers first where help is needed, how effective the possible solutions are, and then the likelihood that those solutions can be funded and implemented with a high probability of long-term success. It is really the philanthropical manifestation of a philosophical position in ethics known as utilitarianism, which states that the most morally correct thing to do in a given situation is that which offers the greatest good for the greatest number of people. The effective altruism movement was started around 10 years ago by a group of highest achieving students and academics who wanted not only to make a difference, but to reinvent the paradigm of what it means to make a difference. Stemming from a philosophical imperative that says we have a responsibility to help our fellow humans, they came up with effective altruism. Many leading academics support the effective altruism movement, 
and have started spin-off organizations to direct resources into solving the big questions facing humanity, both now and in the future. Not only is effective altruism about determining where to best direct resources, it is also about helping people to find careers which will contribute to the movement. And that doesn't just mean going to dig wells in Africa. It could be studying artificial intelligence, or becoming a lawyer who works to establish the moral and legal frameworks in which AI will operate as it becomes ever more sophisticated. The idea is to show people that they can make a difference while still satisfying their desire to have a successful, meaningful career that explores their passions. It is effective not only because it provides a sustainable and meaningful contribution, but because it fulfills the individual as well. There is a reciprocity inherent to effective altruism, which may be as simple as the sense of knowing that you are helping when you donate money to a worthy and productive cause, or the purpose that comes from devoting your life's work to furthering knowledge in a particular field, which results in less suffering and maximise utility for humanity. GiveWell is an organisation founded to do exactly that. GiveWell was formed by a group of hedge fund investors who wanted to contribute part of their wealth towards helping those less fortunate and also to encourage others to do the same. But rather than just donate money, they wanted to better understand how resources were used and to determine the best areas to direct funds so that they would have the biggest impact. Since around 2007, they have conducted in-depth research to determine where charitable funding is best employed. Every year, they update their methods for making that determination and their criteria for assessing the value proposition of charities. They use this formula to determine which are the most effective causes to support. It's not necessarily that they value some causes more than others in emotional terms. They just take a pragmatic approach and prioritise the causes which will have the biggest impact on reducing human suffering in the near to mid-term. This is a useful tool for those who may not know which organisation to donate to, or may be concerned that their donation may not reach those who need it most. Reviewing the GiveWell list for 2019 is telling. The list is short and doesn't include many of the things you would intuitively expect to see. The things on the list seem so simple as to be self-evident. It's a testament to my own ignorance that I'm forced to admit my surprise that treatment for malaria and reducing mosquitoes are the top charitable projects on the GiveWell list, followed closely by various deworming programs. It is amazing to me that these relatively simple treatments are what are most desperately needed to improve the health and well-being and indeed the quality of life for millions of people. It is true, however, that malaria kills up to 400,000 people each year, the majority in Africa, and over 70% of those deaths are children under the age of five. It is also the number one killer of pregnant women. But great gains can be made not only in human terms, but also economic, as the Against Malaria Foundation reports that for every $1 spent on anti-malaria treatments, ultimately GDP is raised by $12 due to the reduced health costs and increased productivity of those no longer affected. But that is nothing compared to deworming initiatives, which can have a return of up to $60 for every dollar spent. What is also interesting is that GiveWell evaluates their top charities based on scientific evidence and independent research not conducted by the charities themselves. For this reason, when you follow GiveWell's advice, you can be assured that not only will donations be managed with integrity, they will be directed to the projects that can have the greatest possible benefit. I recommend you give GiveWell's website, givewell.org, a visit to review their list of recommended charities. Here it is in brief from uh, the 2019 list. These are the top charities recommended by GiveWell. The Malaria Consortium Seasonal Prevention Program directed at children. 
the Against Malaria Foundation's Insecticide-Treated Mosquito Nets Program in Sub-Saharan Africa, the Helen Keller Foundation's Vitamin A Treatment Program for Children in Sub-Saharan Africa, Evidence Action's Deworm the World Program, which is most active in Asia and Africa, SightSaver's Tropical Disease and Deworming Program, the End Fund's Tropical Disease and Deworming Program, and Give Directly, which provides cash payments directly to extremely low-income households, mostly in Africa. Another organisation working in the same space is Open Philanthropy. In fact, they direct their funds based on GiveWell's recommendations. They are open in two ways. Firstly, open to consider new areas for support, and secondly, open in how they conduct their research and then appropriate donor funds. They focus on areas with high importance to humanity, causes that have otherwise been neglected, and areas in which contributions can make an immediate and meaningful difference. This isn't just about the things you typically associate with charity. Open philanthropy works at a high level to consider existential risks, such as the threat to humanity from pandemics and other biosecurity vulnerabilities, and the rise of advanced artificial intelligence. We'll take a deep dive into AI in a later episode, but it's fair to assume that if some of the world's leading philanthropists are taking this risk seriously, maybe we all should be. Another cause that open philanthropy is taking seriously is factory farming. Over the past few years, they have been working to raise awareness of the scale of suffering experienced by billions of animals in intensive farming activities, a cause they say is largely being neglected by traditional animal welfare groups. These three causes, reducing human suffering, reducing existential risks, and reducing animal suffering, are also the key focus areas of the effective altruism movement. But it extends further. It's really beyond our time to go into all of their research and ideas here, but one I found interesting was the Giving What We Can pledge, which asks people to pledge 10% of their income for the length of their working career. This may sound like a lot, but in developed countries, money really doesn't make that much difference to happiness. Actually, there is a non-linear relationship between income and happiness, whereby a reduction in income does not lead to an equivalent reduction in happiness. In fact, a reduction in disposable income could be offset by the positive moral value associated with contributing to a cause that will really make a difference. It is not a revelation to say that giving makes you happier and more fulfilled. Of course, it's not a legally binding pledge, but it is interesting to make such a commitment towards the well-being of others. Given the extensive research and scope of causes provided by GiveWell, Open Philanthropy and others, it is nice to approach altruism being able to select causes which you believe in personally, where you can be sure that your contribution will be effective. Effective altruism also offers EA funds, These run like regular investment funds, but are managed by experts in each of four areas that are named Global Health, Animal Welfare, Long-Term Future, and a Meta-Fund which supports other EA activities. Donated funds are then directed towards the most effective projects in their respective areas. This all sounds pretty good, right? Well, not everyone thinks so. In response to growing concern over where charitable funds were being directed and the legitimacy and effectiveness of those charities, an organisation in the US named Charity Navigator was started. It is a useful resource for would-be donators as it catalogues thousands of charities and gives them a rating based on their financial health and transparency. A charity can expect to be given a star rating out of four. Charity Navigator does not recommend one charity over another. They simply do the research and let users make their own decision on where to direct their contributions. The founders of Charity Navigator openly reject the notion of effective altruism, calling it superficial and moralistic, which weighs one cause against another. 
They point out that effective altruism doesn't donate to disaster relief projects or projects in developed countries as those causes don't satisfy the EA calculus. Another argument describes effective altruism as over-rationalization as it removes the emotional impetus to donate, which is a powerful tool. Appealing to an individual's analytical side rather than their emotions may reduce overall levels of donations. This is a fair point, but it also assumes that all people are emotionally driven to support a cause. That's unlikely to always be the case, but it is well established that marketing techniques are employed to generate charitable contributions. There is a specific psychology behind why an ad for a charity shows one or perhaps two children rather than many. It is known as the identifiable victim effect, and it is far more effective at eliciting a response than describing a large number of unnamed statistical victims. A study by Deborah Small, a marketing professor at Wharton University, and others, found appeals to the heart are far more effective than appeals to the head. For instance, if I told you that 1.4 million children in Malawi suffer stunted growth due to malnourishment, you might think, wow, that's terrible. But you'd also be wondering where Malawi is, and trying to remember if someone you knew went there on holiday recently. In fact, Malawi is a landlocked African country near the east coast in between Mozambique, Zambia and Tanzania. The place you're thinking of might be Langkawi, a holiday destination in Malaysia. Now the scale of the crisis is just too hard to imagine. 1.4 million children is too depersonalised, it's too easy to be detached. Now what if I told you about Alila, a 7-year-old Malawian girl from a family of 6 who has already lost her 3-year-old brother to malaria? What if I described to you how Alila's family lives on maize, but climate change recently brought a drought which wiped out local crops, and her family is now down to their last doors. Her water supply is often contaminated, and she wishes she could go to school so she could grow up and be like the French nurse who regularly checks her and her brothers and sisters at a weekly health clinic in the nearby village. I could tell you that child mortality rates have been reducing, but it would take nothing short of a miracle for Alila to get the education and opportunity to fulfil her dream. I could also tell you that Alila is a common Malawian name which translates to she weeps. But what if I told you that it's quite within your power to make a life-changing difference for Alila? By making a contribution to a development project that is helping to install mosquito nets in Alila's village and establish an irrigation system that will help her community through the increasing frequency of droughts, you could ensure Alila and her family have a future. This type of very specific appeal is far more effective as it breaks down the issues and humanises the victims. It gives them a name, a face, and a future that could exist with just a little help from you. It is much harder to turn away. The problem with effective altruism, though, is that it does exactly that. While the intentions are good, it tends to depersonalise altruism by analysing it from such a high level that decisions become pragmatic, detached, and dehumanised, even though it is ultimately about helping people, and of course animals. This approach is less effective at taking advantage of our psychology, and as such, it might not appeal to the everyday philanthropist, but it does appeal to those with the means to contribute substantial resources to important movements. There seems to be an inherent difference between just donating to charity and philanthropy. I don't know if that transition occurs at a certain financial level, but there seems to be an unwritten understanding that having a lot and giving some of it away, or maybe a lot of it away, makes you a philanthropist. The definition of philanthropy goes beyond just the level of contribution, but towards the long-term sustainability of that donation in terms of its impact. For instance, we often give a bit of change we happen to have in our pocket 
to a charitable cause collecting outside a popular shopping centre, or we might put something in the collection box at our local church or sports facility. But we don't really think of how we can act to make long-term and meaningful solutions to the most pressing issues. We can help society or charity in a small way with a sporadic donation of a few dollars, and that's helpful. Those charities couldn't survive without that source of income. But making a pledge for the long term, or using our skills, networks and resources to get in at the ground floor to actually solve existential problems once and for all, that is philanthropy. Bill Gates, you know, glasses, world's richest man, more times than Fielding's one New Zealand's most beautiful town. He turned his intellect and immense resources towards philanthropy, and together with his wife Melinda, established the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Together with benefactors like Warren Buffett, they have contributed billions of dollars to a long list of causes around the world. Gates has applied his business acumen to establishing the largest private foundation in the world with some $50 billion in assets. While you won't find the words effective altruism on the foundation website, that is pretty much exactly what they do. Their projects are thoroughly researched, carefully managed and followed up over the long term. To qualify for a grant, an organisation must meet a range of criteria, all of which is important, but more often than not, organisations whose goals are aligned with the foundation are approached directly and together they then develop a strategy. The list of projects the foundation has supported is extensive. Everything from mitigating tropical diseases and eradicating polio to providing financial services to the extremely poor. They have truly made a difference and continue to do so. So whether you donate on the basis of a single collection or make a lifelong commitment to pledge part of your income, whether you prefer to donate to charities which align with your personal beliefs, history or community, or to organisations like GiveWell which use effective altruism to maximise the use of your donation, it's all good. In my opinion, there is no wrong answer. But please, do your homework. Follow your heart for sure, but also follow the evidence. Go to the websites, watch YouTube videos, educate yourself and make an informed decision about where to donate a little of your income. When spent wisely, it can go a long way. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Here and Now podcast. You can find us on Facebook at the Here and Now podcast or Twitter at Here Now podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast to keep up to date with all of our latest episodes and be sure to give us a rating at the Apple Podcasts app. You can reach out to me via the pages or at the email, email theherenow at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.